Hi, I'm Chris Plum, head coach and CEO of Cromwell Swim Club. This is the Off the Deck podcast. Off the Deck champions Carmel Swim Club's mission, teaching excellence through swimming for life. Carmel Swim Club is building a pool and it is naming it the Carmel Swim Academy. Carmel Swim Academy will provide an entry point for more children in central Indiana to have access to life-saving programs. We are compelled to use our expertise in swimming to make our community safer and ensure every child has the opportunity to learn to swim. To learn more, visit www.carmelswimacademy.org. Gain Swimming is also a sponsor of the Off the Deck podcast. Gain Swimming is the gold standard in dry land training. If you are interested in a consultation, please contact Chris Webb at chris at thegainnetwork.com. To learn more, visit www.thegainnetwork.com slash gainswimming. And now let's get on with our show. Today's guest is Dr. Brian Waters. Dr. Waters completed his undergraduate studies at Ball State University with a Bachelor of Science in pre-medicine and exercise science. And also graduated from the Honors College of Ball State with a focus in humanities. He recently completed his master's in sports science and rehab from Logan University. He has his doctorate of chiropractic degree from Logan College in chiropractic. He also is a certified provider of active release techniques, and he has been the lead ART, ART team lead at the Ironman Muncie since 2012. He's also a launchered acupuncturist and can practice medical acupuncture and dry needling. That's not it, folks. He also is a National Strength and Conditioning Associate Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist and has many trained many athletes over his time. And... Last but not least, he is a amazing bodybuilder. He's won uh, won some things here in Indianapolis. Yeah, to bring every that. time I go to try to work with him, he um, makes me feel rather small and puny, like I don't even lift weights. So, I can't. Doctor Waters, how are you today? <laughs> Doing well. Thanks for having me, Chris. Appreciate it. Coach, sorry, Coach. That's your first coach. name. Yeah, you can call me Coach Chris. Whatever you want. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you going on. I, I I don't know when I first met you, was it probably around 14 or 15 and I was having some back issues and man, I think in, in, uh, a few months you fixed me up and then I've been going back to you since. So, you know, you do amazing things. How did you like originally get started in this, like your willingness to go down this road? Like what, what fascinates you or keeps you coming back or what brought you to this? Yeah. So originally I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon and then found out I shadowed a few and I didn't like blood, just couldn't deal with it. I was like, they're like, well, it's probably good that you found this out now. Uh, I was like, yeah. Uh, my mom was in the pharmacy kind of situation. So she was always in, in medical stuff. So I always had an interest in the medical kind of world. And then I looked at PT and at the time, this is 15, 16 years ago, there wasn't a good scope. So what I mean by scope is you were kind of restricted and they kind of are still restricted to a certain extent. And so I wanted to like broaden what I could do. And um, I was really fr good friends with a, a pediatrician at the time. And he said, just go to chiropractic school. You can do what you want after that. Um, in Indiana, you're a licensed physician, so you can order imaging, prescribe rehab, do all the, all the things that you need to be able to do. Um, and at the time I was getting into fitness and things like that. So it kind of just made sense. You know, can I mesh 
orthopedic stuff with uh, training. And at the time I was doing some street strength coaching and getting my certification. Um, it, it just made sense. Everything kind of like came together and uh, basically all that stuff you, that was a great introduction. Thank you. Uh, all that means is I can speak different languages and try to, you know, talk to different uh, coaches, providers, um, parents, uh, kids, athletes, and kind of make sure everybody's like together kind of in a team approach. Cause I think that's even more important now with, you know, we think technology makes things easier, but communication between providers, between coaches, between providers and coaches, between teammates, players, athletes, and, and the coaches and the provide, it's just a mess. So I try to help communicate all that together or, you know, transmit that to each, just do my job. Um, but anyway, all that to say that chiropractic school is kind of the, the route to get there. Um, so I'm lucky, you know, I had good mentors growing up and they kind of pushed me in that direction. And then you just make it what you want, you know, figure out how you want to practice and, um, you know, and just get after it. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, you, you come from such a variety of background in your world, right? You know, all the things that you do, because when I go to see you, sometimes it's acupuncture, sometimes it's ART, you throw some chiropractic in there. I always feel like you're going to come at it from a variety of ways to help me. And I know the athletes that have gone to you help you. And I know uh, David Epstein, I think that's his name, wrote a book called Range. And the whole idea of the book was we solve bigger problems by not by not being so specific, but be more of a generalist. And your idea of coming coming at it from the strength perspective, coming at it from the chiropractic, coming from the ART, the acupuncture, you know, so when someone comes to you, you're just pulling from all these different areas. And how does that work for you? Like, are you just like, oh, you're spotting it better now? Or how does that work? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. Um, it's kind of, I guess, like coaching too, that, you know, the more you see it and the more you're saying, okay, I see this in this athlete, let's nurture that with this exercise or this um, different stroke pattern or whatever, you know, it's, uh, it pushes them to this, this other place that you've seen hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Um, so I guess, um, you know, in the beginning you have this, these algorithms you learn in school with if this, then that, and then right. in practice it's basically, it's called evidence-based practice where you take research, uh, patient preference, and then your experience and mesh it all together. And then you come up with these algorithms in your head and then you just practice them over time. So, you know, in a, in a low back case that comes in, they say, oh, you know, low back, depending on their history, you know, 80% of the diagnosis comes from the history. They basically you come in, you tell me exactly what I need to do. I need to know and do. You just don't know it sometimes. And then, you know, people like yourself, you come in, you say, hey, I've tried this, this and this. Well, that narrows that that funnel down for me. And I love that. I love the Google doctor stuff. I, I you know, come in with as much information as you can give me. And then you just, I using all my different pieces, like, okay, in this specific case that happened this specific way, like you've been over in the morning to pick something up. It was your, your tiny tennis shoe or something like that. Now you have nerve pain shooting down your legs. We're going to throw some orthopedic tests at it. Uh, and then, oh, well, in this case, 90% of the time they respond to dry needling with electroacupuncture, ART to the dorsal sacral ligament, stretch the psoas, give them the McKinsey uh, disc you know, exercise, you just, I have all this recipe in my head yeah. for that specific instance. And it's just taken, and, and I'm not an expert yet. I mean, I hope eventually one day I'll be an expert and then I'll probably retire the next day. But it's like, you just keep accumulating, be a learn it all, uh, accumulating algorithms and what works for certain situations. But again, everybody's different. Human bodies are weird, um, especially athletes, as far as how they respond to different treatments. Uh, and it comes down to patient preference. So if I want to needle you and you hate needles, 
I can't do it because right. it's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had never done it and I'm kind of afraid of needles too, but you know, I know it made me feel better and they didn't really hurt at all. So and most a couple of times you stuck me, it hurt. <laughs> most people like the needles more than they like my thumb or a grassing tool. So yeah, the grass. Yeah, tool is a whole other... yeah. So, um, obviously in swimming we have, you know, I think at Carmel, we, we try to do a good job of not getting injuries, but inevitably when you're in high level sport, it's, it's inevitable. So when you do see a swimmer, um, what are the common things that you see and how do you, how do you work with them on it? So I'll, I'll sum this up and I'll say pre Chris and post Chris. Okay. So pre coach Chris here, coach plum. Um, I saw a lot of shoulder injuries. I saw a lot of, um, Oh, just repetitive use. Um, they didn't have a lot of dry land training under their belt. Now, since I've met you and kind of, you know, seen how you do things and we honestly, from you guys, we don't see a lot of shoulders. We don't see a lot of repetitive use. Um, with swimmers nowadays, I see a lot of stuff, maybe more from like the weight room aspect. So, you know, swimmers are really good at swimming. Uh, maybe they have some uh, discrepancies in their squat or their, which again, I know you guys are really good at picking up on that. And I don't see very many injuries, knock on wood from your team, you know, the, but just in general, we're seeing a lot more because a lot of people are lifting now yeah. um, in swimming and maybe thanks to you. And, and, you know, you start to see these successes and these success stories and you say, what are you doing? And, and they say, well, we're lifting weights. And they're like, what? So anyway, um, a lot of times it's just maybe, um, oh, they lifted uh, something too heavy, too fast, too often. And um, so they usually just strain sprains in low back, uh, strain sprains, maybe in calf, sprain strains and uh, maybe in shoulder, but it's going to be from an overhead type movement. And maybe they don't have business to be there yet because, you know, they don't have thoracic uh, extension or rotation. So there's a lot of different factors, but a lot of times it's not the typical stuff we used to see, which, which was a lot of rotator cuff, because um, I feel like you guys are great at catching that early and handling it soon and, and fast. Um, it's more like just maybe they twisted their ankle walk into class or something, or right. so actually a lot more outside of that. But as far as repetitive stuff, um, yeah, we don't see it as much. We see more, you know, low backs, maybe just from uh, something they're doing outside of the swimming. And overall today, I mean, I know you deal with all the sports um, across, I'm sure you see soccer, cross country, whatever, basketball. Are there, are there injuries that you common see that you see commonly with youth versus the adults? And um, is there a pattern in the younger people today that maybe we need to recognize? Because I think generally we're not doing as much PE as we used to. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if there's that uh, getting to a place where we're, we're maybe injured in one spot. And then also with the adults, are there certain things you're seeing again and again and again? So do you want me to say specific to swimming or just in general? Just in general with all that younger athletes you, you see. Yeah. The, I mean, the, my beef and most people that know me know my beef with, with young uh, athletes committing to a sport early on, which I know in this day and age, you almost have to. And that's why it's so much more important with their lifting and their other aspects of their, their training that goes into that sport. But it's, they specialize too soon. Um, a lot of times I like an athlete to, to do different sports you know, throw a ball, kick a ball, swim, jump, run, do all these different things to keep them kind of in a, a balanced, um, not overused system until they're, you know, 12. Now, people on the other end of this are going to go 12. You know, <laughs> they, they need to specialize at six. Yeah. 
So I think with kids, it's, it's a lot harder uh, because, you know, I was a kid there, you know, we did three sports, you know, you did uh, track. So you'd stay, you wouldn't get fat for football or wrestling. I mean, it's like you did one sport to help the other, but then you were good at this. And then so it's balanced. Um, so, you, and again, I think we're finding ways around that, but at the end of the day, I've the seasons there's, you know, you have high school season, but like clubs all year, I mean, you get a week or maybe two off a year, but, uh, same with, uh, baseball, especially baseball, um, football, especially football. And that's where we have to start watching these pitch counts and the, the, you know, amount of contact hours they have with coaches and all these things. Um, they're just getting so much now with adults, um, you know, it's the kid, the kids turn into adults. So the ones that are, uh, they're doing some sports. If they never stop, they're pretty good. Like I'll see uh, mid thirties football players, NFL, and, and they're doing pretty good. They have these tweaks. They're more tendinous. They get to be like uh, high hamstring pulls, chronic ankle twists, or, you know, there's certain things that, uh, that, that catch up to them. But um, I think a good example for an older athlete, what I see is um, they've practiced sitting at a desk for 30 years um, so if they want to CrossFit, let's say, and they've sat at a desk, you know, kind of like this, and they, they hunched, build, right. yeah, they this and it's comfortable. It's not, I wouldn't call it bad posture. It's just not perfect. But if you sit like this eight hours a day, and then you expect to get your arms overhead in a lift, you know, it's if you practice that for thirty years, it's not going to be. And you know, they always say, "I'm getting old. I can't do this." No, you just haven't practiced it for thirty years. Right. But you can't expect to not practice something for thirty years. And then go, oh, I can lift 200 pounds over my head in a perfect overhead squat. Um, and that's why it's so important to never stop that stuff. Um, so I think adults, you know, it's, and I don't want to say ego plays a role, but they think they should be able to do something that they haven't practiced in 30 years when they've been practicing sitting or other things. But outside of that, it's tendons uh, for adults. Tendons. So let's say you are, you know, you're, you're 40 years old. You haven't done your sport or done a whole lot in 10 years, how would you tell them to start today? Like, where would you tell them to begin so that they could maybe CrossFit or run or, you know, Hey, they wanted to go, you know, do pickleball. What would you tell them to go do to get, to help prepare them for sport again at 40 to contrast maybe that sitting around all day. So again, I have to meet them somewhere in the middle, like, and that's where, you know, history, we, to sit down with the person, okay, what have you been doing? Have you, do you take walks every night? Do you walk? What was your activity level? What's your diet look like? I think that's huge activity level and diet. If they've maintained us, you know, like for instance, you, if you've maintained a, a great diet and activity level, you can pretty much cross over different sports and do different things. If you want to CrossFit, if you want to play some soccer, if you want to do some swimming, you know, if you have a, a, a groundwork kind of laid already, but the, um, I think that's the biggest thing is like, Hey, let's get you doing normal things comfortably. Like if they're 350 pounds, no offense to that, that's fine. You got to start somewhere. I'm not going to make you run and do jumping stuff. Not right now, but if we need to like make them feel excited about it, then we'll maybe throw some stuff in there, but you have to start maybe walking and, and start on diet. So there's a lot of other factors at, at 40 than there were at like 15, even though we're seeing that creep down to maybe the 15 year old that has never done anything and maybe is a little bit overweight. So we have to kind of play with that. Um, but yeah, I have to meet them somewhere. Like what, where's your level? If you, if you're starting from scratch, I need you to walk every day this week, 15, 20 minutes, make sure you're getting enough protein, drink water, you know, get them almost like reset, like their, their hardware may be good, but their software needs an update. Um, and then, you know, give it a couple of weeks and just kind of see where they're at and then say, okay, uh, today I want you to do, 
you know, you know have, do you know what a burpee is or a jumping jack or a box jump or maybe just an air squat, body weight, start with body weight stuff, get their joints moving, see what their mobility is, you know, screen them, do SFMA, I do that or FMS or uh, just watch them move. Hey, can you squat for me? Oh, you really need to work on the squat because that's the foundation for everything in CrossFit. Uh, can you reach overhead with one arm? Can you reach overhead with two? Um, can you rotate, you know, just kind of meet them where they are. And then based on that, create a plan going forward, but based on where they're at and then where they want to be. So, you know, if they want to be a competitive CrossFitter at 40 and they've never done anything, then we have to talk about, well, is this realistic? Um, and you can get there. I've seen it, right. but yeah. you know, we have to create that, that plan. And that's very specific to the person, but really for me, it's diet and base level activity. Yeah. And I think that's a great place to start because I mean, just basically get out there and move and walk and eat right. Um, and that's a great place to start. And, you know, you talked about meet them where they are. And I just think you have an incredible bedside manner. So, um, you know, how, how did you develop that? I've been thinking about this. We talked about this earlier a little bit. Uh, when I was in college, well, so some people just have it, right? I was always shy. I've got so many stories. I was super shy, never really talked. I was the good kid that got straight A's. It just was quiet and sat there. And so it was hard for me to, to like get good at talking and being friendly and well, not friendly, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I think personal training when I was like freshman in high school, no college, I started personal training at the YMCA or at the ball state. I forget which one was first. And I think forcing myself to talk to strangers in that way, like coming up to somebody at the gym. And so like really just being at the gym and talking to strangers, but then, Hey, do you want to work out with me? That kind of stuff, like getting in a comfortable, uncomfortable situation, but it was awkward. And then, you know, like I remember when I was going, thinking I was going to med school, they were wanting people with good bedside manner versus the smart person. Like, they're like, we can teach you all the things you need to know to be an orthopedic surgeon, but we need you to be good talking to people. And so they wanted you to be balanced. So I think like school was really helpful in that with college. I had humanities courses where we were talking about, you just get used to talking with people. Um, but I mean, you know, I, when I mentor kids and like, they're really shy and I'm like, I've been there, like, I think I faked it till I made it at a certain point. Like you fake it till you make it. And then I was like, no, 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 this isn't me. I'm being too like uptight and professional. I need, just need to be me. So I think at the end of the day, once you have that groundwork and knowledge and you're just you, the, the, I think the bedside manner comes out, but I have had several friends that they cut, they go through med school and I'm like, so why didn't you do your residency? And they're like, I just don't like people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, you know, if you don't like people, you're not maybe going to have a great bedside manner. I appreciate that though. Like it is something that, uh, when people come in, they're in pain. So I always think of yeah. like this, right. people come in, it could be the worst day of their life. And I say that like, they're in the most pain they've ever had physically and emotionally, mentally. I'm not dealing with that part really, but physically they come in their worst pain of their life. I need to make them more comfortable, whether that's me, you know, making fun of myself for being goofy or I play silly music sometimes or just laugh and like make them laugh. And like, so part of it is just like make that person better than they were when they came in. Even if I can't take their pain away hundred percent, know that, you know, maybe them thinking about me, Oh, this professional, you know, doctor, he's actually, you know, we can hang out and drink a beer sometime um, and just be goofy. And, you know, I think it takes their mind off the pain a little bit. Um, so anyway, two things. One, I guess you either have it or you don't, or you can practice it being in an uncomfortable situations. But then 
knowing kind of, okay, this patient is in a lot of pain. Let's just get them comfortable and just, you know, be more human. Well, Did I answer it? <laughs> no, that's a great answer. It's true. Cause I lived it. And I know the people that, that talked to you rave about you and I, you know, I see a lot of people, especially young people today, they're like, yeah, if I go to school, if I get a good grades, if I do all these things, I'm just going to go be successful. But there's this, such a human side, like, no, you need to also have this connection and work on your soft skills because that's almost more important than the intellect that comes with it. And I see it with young coaches too, wow. you know, it's like – they, you just have to go be your authentic self and you have to feel confident in that and you have to expose yourself and it's not going to go well every time. And it sounds like you were like exposure therapy. I'm going to put myself through this and uh, whatever comes out on the other side. So, um, and I know, you know, for you, like you started your own business and like, you better be good and bring your clients over. Right. Like what was that part that had to be a risk for you and how did that go? So I always talk about my family. Like, again, I had a really good support system. I still do. Um, my family always owned their electricians. So literally my great grandfather was an electrician. My grandfather was, my dad was, they always owned water seating electrics. They always owned their own business. So I, I think early on I knew, well, I can't really work for anybody else. It's just not going to work for me. I've got, I've got a way that I want to do it. And it's, you know, so I think um, early on there was that. Uh, but then at some point you're just, you're like, look, there is no other option. Like, this is what I'm doing. We're going to start it and we're just going to be successful. You know, I had a, a wife when I first started and we didn't have kids yet. And I was just like, there's no way I'm going to fail. I may fail. I'm not afraid to fail, but I'm not going to let it stay there. I'm going to keep going. So if I do fail, I'm going to keep going and I'm just going to find ways to make it work. And it's just like over the last two years, you know, it's like all these businesses have found that way to work or, uh, you know, team sports team everything you found out how you can work around the situation so i think just being kind of stubborn in a way knowing that i'm just never going to quit and um you know just see enough successes early on that keeps you motivated knowing that there is some validity in what you're doing and you're like this i affected this one person let me just keep affecting one person at a time and then the next person and then you got a couple and you're like hey this i can i, I can do this but the business side of it is completely different, you know, enjoying what I do. I'm really lucky. I feel like I'm really lucky to, again, have a good support system. So like surrounding myself with having good family and, and friends and, and things like that, that you can kind of lean on or cry, you know, it's not easy all the time, but then, um, you know, just pushing forward and knowing that I'm not going to stop. But, and I don't know where that comes from, but um, I don't know. It's uh, maybe that is kind of ingrained, I just enjoy, you enjoy what you do and you don't want anyone to take that away. Um, so I don't know. That was a good answer. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, you, I was, in, I, I've known you and you, you just were like, no, nope, I'm doing this myself and here's where I am and we're going to live into it. And I'm going to figure it out. But I knew you would be successful just because of your connection in a way with people. And I think that's a huge tribute to you, but also speaks to a larger point. It's uh, so much more about relationships than anything else, right? And your ability to create relationships to connect with people, you're going to be a success in this world if you know how to do that. And, um, you know, well, I, I, did, wanna... I guess I did have three jobs in the beginning, just in case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, well, if this one doesn't work out, these other two will at least. I got three more that can always work. Well, you always go back to being a trainer and, uh, right? Nothing so, wrong with that. 
Yeah, nothing wrong with that. That's that's good. Um, you know, the, the thing I think about, too, you know, my dad was a doctor. He was a family practice and he had, he had a way with people. And he always wanted to help people. But the thing I have the issue with doctors versus someone like you, like family practice. When I was growing up, if you had pain, it was just like, take this pill. You know, if your shoulder hurts, don't go to practice or just kick. And I think we found a better way now with, you know, therapies and all those things like you did. So how do you, you know, when people have injuries, your, your job is to keep them going. Right. And how do you, when you think about that, is that the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah. I think early on I used to say, and I still do like when I look at somebody, I'm like, so for you, for instance, I'm like, my job is to keep you in business. I need you to keep your athletes in there in the pool swimming and winning. And, you know, and it's, if I look at a, a trainer or coach and I'm like, I need to keep you in business. I need to keep your athletes coming back. There's no excuse for me. Like I hurt my back. Okay. Where are we at? Can you get out of bed? Yes. Can you get on and off the toilet? Yes. Can you put your clothes on? You know, so it's like, to me, there's no excuse and there's always a workaround. So I was, I'm just, I help that person, that, that, um, that client work around their problem. Um, Cause you can always work around, you can lateralize. So like, if they can't do this, they can do something next to this, or you can go up and down. So you just, you find where they're at on that kind of spectrum and then either go left or right or up or down um, in difficulty. Uh, but yeah, you, you need that. First off, there's a culture there. So you need to change the culture. Um, you know, not the suck it up culture. If you have pain, I need to know about it. Yeah, Especially right. if it's early on, let's fix it early. So it doesn't get ingrained. But once there is an issue, you can't just stop. You can't just give up. It's not an easy pass to, to, to go home after school and not go to practice. Um, there are things you can still accomplish, but a lot of times it's just seeing where that person is. I say there's the person that wants to get better, the person that doesn't want to get better, or the person that doesn't know. And the hardest one is the patient that has no idea if they want to get better or not. Mm-hmm. People are like, oh, the person that doesn't want to get better is hard. No, because you get them better and they can't not believe you. It's like, you're better. The person wants to get better. That's easy. That's you and me. We want to get better. Right. But then that that third group that doesn't know, I think a lot of student athletes, if they're not super, super good, if they're not the top, 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 if they're in the middle and they just get injured, they don't know if they really want to get better or not. They're like, well, this is my ticket out. Um, and so, yeah, we, you know, I kind of with the different therapies we're doing nowadays, like we don't do a lot of ice anymore because that slows things down. We don't stop. We don't after a back, you know, if somebody has to have back surgery, we don't tell them to lay in bed for three weeks. We tell them, okay, you need to be up and moving today or tomorrow. You need to be after hip replacement after, but we do that with injuries now too. There's just this mentality where get those patterns, reboot the system, take, you know, if you have to lay in bed for a day because you can't move, it's one thing, but start moving, start doing something, do some breathing exercises, do, you know, get things moving, but there's always a up, down, left or right that you can go from where you're at injured to let's keep moving. Yeah. And that's the great attitude. And I think we're seeing that more and more, which is good. And we know that the human body is supposed to move. It's not just supposed to sit there and get all gelled up and locked down. Right. So um, talk about the, we've talked about the breathing at Carmel a little bit, but the breathing techniques and what are you seeing today in terms of the breathing, particularly with the slow breathing, the nasal breathing, and also the um, abdominal, like, What's the word I'm looking for for that? The yeah, belly breathing. Belly breathing. Yeah, uh, the bracing and breathing. Bracing. That's right. The bracing. You know, breathing ten years ago was kind of like an outlier thing that you know people. Well, can they breathe? Yes, obviously they can breathe. We have a diaphragm that keeps us breathing. Um, but a lot of times, what we notice 
especially if you've got that leaning forward posture and then your head comes up with cell phones, typing. I think we started seeing a lot more with typing. You, your traps become overactive and you're breathing with your chest and your neck. And then we've seen with, there's been a lot of research with running and bonking and running and efficiency with like, if you are breathing here, which that's a bodybuilder breath, you want to puff up your chest but um if you're breathing you're good at that, yeah yeah i'm good at that <laughs> my diaphragm doesn't work very well um but no the uh the um you're overworking all the overhead muscles basically so if you have to use your upper body at all and you're breathing with those muscles you get fatigued you get injured you get neck pain you get back pain you get shoulder pain you get all these issues related to breathing so i feel i feel like and then with the low back that's just the upper back and the neck and the shoulders but with the lower back you've got stability because uh, we used to think the core was just your abs or your your transverse abdominis or your low back. You know, do some more extensions, do some more extensions. Well, now we realize it's a ball. It's actually like a can with a top and a bottom. I think it's more of a ball. But you've got the side obliques, you've got the front and the back, and then you've got the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. And what we do is we pressurize that whole system, and then it stabilizes the low back. And then that translates to everything. Mm. So if we can get breathing efficiency up – and you know, stop using all these other things. Now there's reasons why we would take a big chest breath or hyperventilate or get rib mobility. There's other reasons why we would chest breathe and all these things. But in general, to be able to brace and breathe through the core and the stomach and the 360 kind of pattern, uh, that's how we stabilize the entire body. And that's kind of where it starts. And if you watch kids and babies and um, watch them develop, uh, the developmental growth through all the stages, the breathing always stays. It's the most fundamental piece that just they can brace and breathe without practicing. And we just lose it over time. And a lot of times it's being in positions, you're practicing sitting, you're not talking, you're not, and you're just looking at screens. And, and I, you know, that's, that's inevitable. Uh, you know, we have to do those things, uh, but trying to breathe, it's just, you're trying to um, alleviate some of those symptoms with the breathing. Uh, but then in the last five years, yeah, the research has been huge. Um, a lot of the big names, Kelly Sturette was one of the first breathing guys in kind of that mainstream area, uh, but you've got dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, DNS, which is a technique, Postal Restoration Institute, which is PRI, which is a technique. They all work, they're all very similar. Um, and then you've got um, you've got new stuff coming out with um, nose breathing, uh, as far as being a parasympathetic, helps kind of uh, shift workers, people that work at night. Um, if you can run a mile with just breathing through your nose, it's scary as heck, but, uh, you know, you can stimulate parasympathetic nervous system and relax. And there's some uh, Wim Hof breathing. There's all this breathing stuff. What I'll tell you is focus on something to do with breathing and it works. So uh, with athletes, it's more the the core and the, the belly breathing. Uh, and the key with the belly breathing is just to be able to take a deep breath. And if you saw there, you can't even see my shoulders move, but I'm breathing all the way in through my stomach. Deep breath as opposed to. And yeah, so we can correct that. Correct. Yeah. If we can correct that, um, you can go a long way into preventing and so preventing injury and uh, rehabbing someone. And that's the connection with the brain, right? Is that part of it? Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the the, um, the brain really controls everything. We forget if it's input or output, but it's both. Um, but it's mostly output from the brain. Um, I mean, even the eyes are connected. So, yeah, if you're squatting, they used to say, look up to the ceiling. Well, what they mean is just eyes up. Because as soon as you look down, your spine flexes. So literally, yeah, like everything's connected. And if you can train that, that belly breathing and bracing, get that like pattern to your brain. Okay, when I lift this, I brace and I'm able to breathe through that. 
uh, you can, you know, repeat that, repeat that, repeat that, and you don't have to think about it. So uh, I think with CrossFit, the big thing was like, they get to a point where they cannot push farther because they're breathing so heavy and so hard. So you have to retrain that. And it is almost like slowing down the brain a second, turn off the sympathetic, turn on the parasympathetic um, so you can get everything to kind of calm down, control, and then keep going. Um, now with swimming, that's a whole nother thing as far as, um, I mean, you just, I think we've talked about it, but as far as, um, you know, how do you push somebody to the limit and get their breathing? I mean, in water, it's, it's so much different because it's, you're not able to breathe anytime you want. It's a pattern and all these things. Anyway, I'm getting off topic. Yeah, no, I think, you know, I trying to think about ways to um, control the breathing when they come to the wall mm -hmm. in between repetitions. I don't think you're going to be able to, to nose breathe when you're swimming. I don't. Think you can't nose breathe when you're swimming. Yeah. No, I don't think that's going to happen. But uh, you know, I know, like, um, I just talked with an athlete, and you know, and they're warm to swim before they got in. The coach put uh, tape on their mouth so they had to nose breathe when they warmed up, and I think they, they really like that. So I've been thinking about ways maybe just to stimulate that. We've talked about that before. I know the brace and breathe is something we, we work on continually, but. PRI uses balloons. They'll make you breathe into a, a balloon. So it's based around box breathing, I believe, which is a five second inhale, five second hold, five second exhale, five second hold. And that's like snipers will use that to slow down their heart and their breathing. And uh, and it's again, it's playing with the same thing in the brain. But yeah, if, I, w I don't know if I'd tape the, the person's lips, but that's what they talk about. <laughs> Uh, I think I've heard people tape their mouth. They go for a run and they have a panic attack and rip the tape off. And I'm like, I'm just going to keep my mouth closed. I'm just going to try it like this. <laughs> well, so you I can just walk around town with your mouth tape over your mouth, duct tape over your mouth, see what people say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just put a smiley face on the other side. That's right. Um, let's finish up with some, with some lighter questions, if you don't mind today. Okay. All right. Okay, so um, you said I doubt you kick in the pool. I'll just kind of ask you this: um, if you could uh, go, I don't know, lift weights with anybody in the world at any time, who would you go lift weights with, Brian? Uh, my wife, of course. Oh my yes. God! Any sunny <laughs> besides your wife? Come on, we got it. She's the she's the best though. She's so much fun to lift with. No, uh, she'll listen to me. That's for her. Oh uh, man, that's a good one. Um, man, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, Arnold. You know, I know he's been under some heat lately with some comments he said. Okay. I always tell people, remember the Arnold that got you into lifting, and that's who I want to lift with because he hasn't. That Arnold is the Arnold that will always be there for me. Like, he's the yeah. one that's – so, yeah, he's he's just, you know, he's a self-made guy and uh, really motivating. But the old Arnold, not the new Arnold. Okay. Uh, what, what three songs do you want to come on when you're in the weight room? Uh, man, uh, what was it the other day? Hair down, dun, dun, dun. good as hell. With Lizzo, uh, oh, that, yeah, that yeah, song, yeah. good as hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's my pop up song. Uh, what else? Uh, man, those are really good. Uh, any like, um, who's ba uh, bad by Michael Jackson? Okay, yeah. Uh, and Man in the Mirror, I like those two, but bad's like pump up. And then, uh, man, one more. Any sublime song. I'm I'm kind of like a sublime. sublime. I like that kind of summer music, is what I call it. Summer music, yeah. From the, where were they? From like uh, the '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, early '90s. Yeah. What's yeah, what yeah. would be your number one song? 
I mean, to me, like before, I mean, I go just classic, but um, I mean, uh, with Thunderstruck gets me going. Oh, yeah. From ACDC. yeah, yeah. I've been listening actually Tame Impala lately. It's kind of a weird alternative band, but it's I guess it's one guy. It's called Tame Impala. I'll listen to that whole like Spotify playlist. That's okay. what I listen to when I work out. But uh, Lizzo, man, you can't go wrong with Lizzo. All right. What song do you uh, would you least like to pop up when you're in the weight room? So this brings back a really interesting story. Uh, when I was at the YMC, I was a manager before I was a trainer there, and uh, I had an Olympic uh, thrower that came in, and I'd let her in early. It was kind of I wasn't supposed to, but I did, and I was like, just don't get me in trouble. But she'd come in and she'd throw and she'd do like. So one day she was squatting like three something, and it and again. I grew up in a smaller town, and I didn't see a lot of women lifting weights. And now I know it's complete. My wife, you know, it's amazing. But like back then, it wasn't. So I was like, hey, what do you listen to? Like, you're lifting 300 something pounds. And she's like, Britney Spears, <laughs> toxic. And I was like, oh, her toxic album. So uh, I can't do it. I can't lift to, uh, I don't know, any of the. No Britney stuff. for you when you're in the weight room. Nah, I respect it, but okay, she could, yeah. she could, yeah, squat some serious weight with that Britney Spears plan. Hey, man. Can't do, can't do it. Can't do it. Um, if you could post a billboard in the weight room for everyone to see, what would it say? there's so many things i want to say number one <laughs> number one just rack your weights you rack um, your weights rack your put weights. your weights away please right? just rack your weights it's part of the workout literally right. it's part of the workout. Exactly. i stopped racking my weights well i had a surgery once and i had to i couldn't rack weights that was my job once for uh i was a monitor at ball state and i racked weights racked weights i stopped doing that and i got so weak i was like this is a huge part of the workout. Just rack the weights. Put them back, yeah. Uh, yeah, rack your weights. Okay. But, or well, get off your phone. <laughs> <laughs> get off your get phone. Off your phone right? on the machine. Yeah. Get off your phone. Oh, um, let me work in. Hey, let me work in. Yeah. Um, what, uh, you know, for the people out there, what, what do you want to finish with? And then, like, where can they reach you at? Yeah. Uh, the easiest thing is obviously our website, IndieMuscle.com. That tells you a lot about myself, Dr. Alec Domion, um, and we've got two massage therapists. Um, and, and it's just a, it tells you a lot about what we do and all the different modalities. I know we threw out ART, Graston, dry needling, acupuncture, DNS, McKinsey. It's all on our website. It tells you everything about it. Um, I know everybody mostly has social media, Dr. Brian Waters on Instagram or Indie Muscle and Joint on Instagram. Those are good places we keep those up to date. So indiemuscle.com or uh, social media, Dr. Brian Waters or Indie Muscle and Joint. Well, thank you, Dr. Waters. I appreciate thank it. You. Yep. What's, uh, when's your next competition? <sighs> Five years. <laughs> You're done bodybuilding. I've got to gain some serious weight. Uh, yeah, I, I got my pro card at 154 and I've got to compete at 212 now. So I competed... What? I competed my first pro show this year at Classic Physique, so it's 180 based on my height, but I've outgrown that. So I'm about 215 now. I need to get up probably 230, 240 in the offseason. That's, that's, that's tough. That's a lot of food. <laughs> so A lot of food. A few years. I'll be a dad and a doctor for a while, and then I'll, I'll get back into that. But, you know, people are like, oh, so you can take time off? No, I'll still lift and eat. I just can't compete for a while. I mean, I could, but it wouldn't be fun. Right, so. right. All right, this has been fun. appreciate you jumping on, and um... – yeah, thanks. All right, appreciate you. See ya. See ya.